One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. This is a podcast from The Times. Go to thetimes.co.uk. Welcome to the Game Podcast. Listen to us and you'll have all the ammo you need to dominate any football conversation you might find yourself in this week. Today I'm joined by Patty Barkley, Ollie Kay, and making his debut on the show, it's Mr. Matt Holland. Later on we'll be discussing a sticky mess for the Toffee Men and a lively Northeast Derby. But first, it's Arsenal and Liverpool. All right, uh, so not the best of times for Arsene Wenger. Um, I counted nine guys out. It might have been eight. It might have been ten. Cesc um, is gone. Samir Nasri possibly on his way. Possibly not. We'll see about that. Um, Patty, you wrote about this. Is mm. this the worst week of the recent Wenger era? Yeah, well, it just seems to be getting worse and worse and worse, and eventually will hit. Uh, you know, it'll hit hit the bottom and gradually float. And I, I kind of have a feeling that maybe in Udine on Wednesday. Um, I, th- I think I think really I mean that was torment for uh, for Arsene Wenger on on Saturday when they had they were they were looking at a point at worst I think against Liverpool um, and then uh, young Emmanuel Frimpong got quite rightly sent off for an appalling foul um, and I think I think that was really the nadir for Arsenal um, and I do think things will get better I you know it it did seem awful at the time especially as an own goal a comical own goal then gave Liverpool victory or put them on the way to what was in the end a very well deserved victory Um, but amid all that I have a little feeling that Arsenal on Saturday found at last the new Vieira the man who uh, Frimpong has a chance of going on and on and on until he becomes at least the new Gilberto if not the new Vieira I think Arsenal at last have a powerful presence in midfield it may take him a few years to mature but that you know there, there may have been shoots of recovery amid what seemed a disastrous um, performance okay I, I won't tell Patrick Vieira that you uh, uh, compared him to, you compared Emmanuel Frimpong to him um, that's something you're saying if, if you, you take responsibility for your actions there it's one, um, it's one for it's, it's what we used to call a rag out you know it's something that I will claim credit for if it happens <laughs> a few years down the line uh, I um I mean, beyond Frimpong as a new Vieira, but could they, Arsenal, maybe have turned a, a, a corner a tiny, tiny bit here? Because he did have all the scrubs out there, but 
you know, as I said, it, it was it was a comical decep- uh, deflection, um, a counterattacking goal, some suspicion of of offsides or probably not. I mean, that's not terrible given the situation, is it? Um. Well, ask me again next week. Um, I, I would say I'm that. I'm asking you now. You're Jenkinson, well, McGowan. Well, who are these guys? You know, well, exactly Who are they? And 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 is it? fair on them and, and then is it fair on Arsenal that, that, that these guys are, are being thrown in at the deep end at, at this particular time and I mean I've, I've got sympathy with Wenger I, I really have but I, I think a lot of the, the problems have been um, brought on himself I mean you look at their squad at the moment and it looks incredibly weak even even with all the injuries that they've got um, it's, a, it's, it's a real problem and the, the fixtures that they've got at the start of the season are, are horrific even without the Udinese game Newcastle away Liverpool at home and United away on Sunday Paddy says that they've uh, hit rock bottom and um, are now on the way back up again I don't know what, if, if, if they can get through the next week um without sinking to further depths they will have done really well because those are pretty unforgiving fixtures um, and I, I really do have faith in Wenger sorting his own um, long term medium term but I, I think I think they're in for a worse week this week Matt I'm a big fan of Arsene Wenger and what he's achieved over the years Um, but I think he missed a trick in January I think that's when he should have signed a centre-half they were gunning for four trophies um, and and I think a centre-half would have been an important signing at that stage Uh, he didn't do it I think he's got this reluctance to or he'll only buy what he says is value for money now like Josh Well, well, yeah but what is value for money that's the the question yeah Mm. exactly what is value for money I mean he might rate say Gary Cahill at Bolton 12 million pounds mm. Bolton might want 25 million pounds but in January if he was the piece in the jigsaw that ultimately meant Arsenal won the title or won a trophy at least then that's value for money for me yeah. and sometimes he's got this reluctance to do it now he sold Fabregas it looks like Nasri's probably going to go as well he's going to have some money to spend now we've seen with Liverpool who they came up against at the weekend and obviously challenges for the top four this year yeah. they have spent big this summer um, they've, they've brought Jordan Henderson in they've brought Stuart Downing in they brought Andy Carroll in the previous window now a lot of people said that he's overspent on those players you know Andy Carroll certainly at 35 million looks a lot of money Jordan Henderson the same at 20 but Liverpool needed recruitments they needed people in the door so and, he went out and, and bought them and they were now, lucky in that in the, in the people came along and gave him 55 million for um, Torres and yeah, Babel absolutely so they had money they, so uh, uh, Carol cost Carol and Suarez were free they, well they cost Torres yeah, yeah mm-hmm. basically and then he spent he spent again this summer but he needed to do it now Arsene Wenger has got a pot of money now now he's lost key players Fabregas probably Nasri he's got injury problems he needed a centre half in January he now probably needs a centre half a defensive midfield player yep. uh, he needs a creative midfield player if Fabregas and Nasri go and he needs a striker he needs someone to take the pressure off uh, Robin Van Persie he has to go and spend and he can't be afraid of overspending he can't say well you know I only value him at 8 that's all I'm going to pay if someone else will pay 15 for it I think he can get by on a creative midfield player if he gets a centre forward because yeah. then Van Persie can stop impersonating absolutely a he can play he's deeper. never going to be a centre forward you, as know, long you, as he look, lives. you look at some of his signings like Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain he could potentially be yeah. a top Premier League player but he needs people who are ready now not people who might in two three years time come good okay I'm going to interrupt this meeting of the Marwan Shamak uh, fan club here <laughs> <laughs> yeah well I, I used to I used to be uh, Ollie, uh I had to ask were you surprised that Nasri started I mean I, I, 
obviously this is a very complex negotiation I, and I have a little bit of information which maybe not everybody has but um, uh, on this one uh, which mm. I'm, I'll share in a few mm. in a few minutes yeah. um, but the uh, uh, but the fact of the matter is Nasri is an asset for um, uh, for Arsenal you put him on the pitch and he breaks his leg all of a sudden you know you're up that place without a paddle players might get injured the day before injury before a, a transfer a potential transfer um, A the transfer might yet not might not happen still uh, I expect it will but um, B how often does it happen that players get injured well, how long should a, should a club sort of uh, deny themselves the services of a player during a transfer window when they're, when they when they're looking for a way out I mean Fabregas didn't play at all in pre-season for Arsenal and then but he was injured and, Ollie, remember? Yeah, well, yeah, and then suddenly, um, and suddenly, with no match fitness, appeared on the bench and, and, and made late appearance uh, um, against Real Madrid. Uh, I mean, it just seems that it's almost accepted now for, for guys to jump out of, of games and. and Cry off, really, uh, when when they've got a, a transfer in the offing, and I, I, I was glad to see Wenger um, play Nasri and sort of. Um, yeah. But don't you think it, it brings the league? It makes the league a laughing stock. This is supposed to be the best run league, the best league in the world. Blah blah blah, and here we are with loads of teams debilitated by players faking injuries so that they keep themselves available for transfer. The transfer window yeah. should be closed before the season begins, and. I think it's an absolute disgrace that we're that. still talking about who's playing for who when the season's yeah. two weeks old. No, I totally agree with it. I mean, you look at Man United this summer, they've done their business early. Yeah. You know, they've brought Phil Jones in, they've brought David De Gea in, Ashley Young. They've given themselves pre-season, yeah. get used to the new surroundings for these players. And that looks and Liverpool did exactly the same of course yes. and and they've Hats done the, the majority of their business they still may make signings in the next two weeks possibly only because they can because they'd they can be perfectly alright if they didn't yeah I think so I think you know United felt that they've got Tom Cleverley coming through yeah. and he might provide um, that, that creative spark if you like in midfield so yeah they've done their business early uh, some teams are in a mess right now Ollie let's get back to talking what you, what you really want to talk about which is Liverpool's performance um Suarez starts out on the bench because, let's face it, he's probably a little bit knackered as well from from the Copa America. Couch starts. Um, looks a lot different when, when when Suarez comes on. In fact, I, I dare say, after an hour or so of count, having Suarez on it makes Suarez seem even faster. Yeah, well, I mean, Suarez is a, is a completely different quality of player, isn't he? If you, if you look at you know in terms of technical quality, pace, etc. I mean, he, he is. Uh, you know, he really is a top-class player, and, and of course, it, of course, it did bring an improvement because Kerr, although he has his strengths, he's, he's a more uh, more ponderous player, should we say, or more uh, you know, less, less inspiring in terms of his touch, etc. But um, no, I, I, I thought Douglas got it absolutely spot on. I mean, you could say um, that they were going nowhere at nil-nil, but, but I mean they. I thought they all, always seemed in pretty good control of the situation. They always had that option to bring Suarez on, and I, I thought, as well as the um, the, the fatigue issue, I, th- I thought it was a, a tactical approach. Really, I thought they that they must have felt they need they needed three in midfield. They felt that if um, if they were playing one up, that it, it was going to be Carroll, not Suarez. And although the, you look at Suarez and think he's a type of player who could play wide, um, I thought it worked quite well. I. That, that, that bit might have worked well, but um, I'm just curious now because 
Aquilani is probably almost definitely uh, on his way out. Um, Steven Gerrard is injured. Raul Merilish, you know, came on, played well again. It looks like he could be surplus to requirements and we've talked about how Dalish needs to needs to sell needs to reduce the squad part of the problem is it's difficult it's, it's more difficult to move people like Polson and Joe Cole who you'd like to move but nobody wants find them exactly um should he be moving should, should he maybe hang on to Merrillish is there a role for him in this team I, I would think so. I, I really liked Marilyn last season. I thought he did. I thought he did really well, and I'm surprised that it came out so early in the summer that he was going to be surplus to requirements. And um, I, I think he's proved a point with um, with his performances from the bench so far this season. And um, I would like to think that, that there could be a place for him. And if, if Aquilani goes, and I, I don't think Joe Cole and Paulson will be there at the end of uh, August. I mean, it, it doesn't look quite such a huge class of midfielders at that point. And um, I, I would think there should be a, a role for Mirrors, ideally. Anybody really think that Joe Cole is going to go? Who's going to take Joe Cole? Any, anybody want to hazard a guess? <laughs> well, someone will take him. It, it's just wages are the big problem, isn't it? I mean, you know, I think... Sorry, sorry, sorry if I jump in a bit. Providing some, some, some input on this, right? Let's imagine... I'm assuming you probably never made 80 grand a week. No, um, I didn't. You're quite you right. Know, you probably made 80 grand over your career. I wouldn't be sat here now, Gary, <laughs> if I made 80 grand <laughs> exactly. a week. But here's the part I think is difficult for, for people who weren't professional footballers to, to, to relate to, um, is... You know, you have a finite amount of time on this earth. You have an even more finite amount of time as a professional footballer. Um, you make a big salary. It's pretty clear you're not going to play much. Why not take a pay cut down to, mm-hmm. you know, 50 grand a week? Uh, which is still probably, you know, more money than most of us in this room earn. I think that that is down to the desire of the individual and how much the individual wants to play is the bottom line, really. If you're happy on big ways to sit on the bench or perhaps not even in the stand, um, then then obviously, for me, you're not a committed enough player. I think you should want to play every week at whatever level you possibly can. Um, Robbie Keane, uh, we'll probably come to him later, um, he's, he's a prime example. I mean, he's obviously not playing at Tottenham. Um, I think in an ideal world, he'd like to have stayed in the Premier League, but the offers for him in the Premier League weren't forthwith. They didn't come Um Leicester City apparently made an offer for him um, but he's decided to go to the MLS and play um, I don't know what the wages he'll be earning in the MLS but I'm sure they'll be pretty good it's a different lifestyle for him it's a change it's a new challenge um, but he's decided to go and play some players want to play week in week out they'll go out on loan to do that some people will sit and take the money Let's move on Sunderland and Newcastle um, Petty I want to start with you Because I know yeah. You love sort of Physical Hard tackling And oh, yes. things like that But I, We kind of take it as ready Even the build up to this game Like it was You know sort of Oh this is going to be Sort of you know Wild players crashing Into each other mm-hmm. Physical game I just want to and, and it certainly Didn't disappoint If that's no, what no. you like But I just want to start with this Does it Have to be that way? No, I don't think it does. Uh, I mean, I think it depends on the referee. If the if a referee uh, wants a wants a clean game, he can he can do so. He'll, he knows he'll be criticised for it because he probably have to send people off. Um, I mean, we had Howard Webb uh, at the Northeast Derby and. Uh, he presided over yet another uh, remind, reminiscent of the World Cup final. It was absolutely horrible, some of it. Um, 
and uh, you know I you know as you alluded earlier it's it's not to my taste this you know in what you might call English refereeing I, I like um, I like referees to get a grip and impose the the laws rather than the conventions of the English derby um, but uh, it was there was some pretty horrible stuff in that game and and you know Catamol is, is so predictable I mean the man's an animal to be quite honest I mean you, you'd be putting next to Joey but at least Joey Barton can play a bit if, you'd, if you'd at half time you'd had a, a bet on who would have been yep. booked Catamol and Joey yep. Barton would have been right yep. at the top of your list wouldn't they I mean Alan Pardews prior to the game said those that play with their heads rather than their hearts will win this game mm. and, and in the end Newcastle obviously came yeah. out on top and, yeah. and I think that's key in a derby because there is that temptation to go running chasing lost causes which you know you perhaps shouldn't go for a 30 40 yard run just to get the crowd on your side and and you know make yeah. a statement rather than keeping your shape your discipline and uh, so I think Alan Pardew made quite an astute statement before the game and, and obviously his team were the ones that came out on top I, I like, my, I like so, sorry to interrupt I was I just going to say I like Pardew very much uh, as a manager I think he's um, I think I think that West Ham uh, might have saved themselves quite a bit of uh, quite a bit of uh, angst uh, had they not uh, let him go yeah. um, I, I mean I, I'm, I'm not sure that, I think I get the impression that Alan thinks he's quite a good manager yeah, yeah I, I I've worked under him. <laughs> I've worked under him at Charlton. And, what did you and, think and, of him as a coach? I, I like him. Yeah. I, I'm with you on it, Paddy. I, I like him a lot. He um, he has this certain amount of arrogance, but I think you need that as a football manager when you, yeah. you're dealing with high-profile players. Um, I thought he was a very good coach. Um, and you know he's had a difficult time at Newcastle no doubt about that he's lost some key players mm. um, obviously Andy Carroll in January what Kevin was, Nolan was an interesting one he's, he, and we uh, saw that, that left back is super. Enrique oh, I like him a lot as a well player, he so he, he needs reinforcements he needs help um, but but I do like him he gets the he, he does a lot of work on the training ground he gets the best out of his players he um, he's one of those managers I, I I find that I always think a good man man manager is as good as anything and you know if if you've got people in your squad who are not playing and yet still don't mind the manager then that's the key I think you know you've got a happy squad and, I, and I, so I'm, I'm a fan of his um, Ollie I won't ask you your opinion around Alan Pardew because I suspect it's very similar to mine um, but uh, <laughs> I, I, I want to ask you uh, about this because I admit all, all this uh, anti-Englishness coming from Messrs Barkley and Holland they neglected to mention that um, one of the really bad tackles in the game I thought was from Johan Kabai early on who um, I believe is French um, I want to ask: Do you see this? Do you, do you see like sort of foreign players getting swept up in, in the occasion and kind of losing control? And should Kabai maybe have gone? Well, you, you do see that all the time in, in the derby matches. If you look at if you look at the, for example, the Glasgow derbies uh, yeah. down the years. I mean, there have been so many cases where the guys who have really got swept into it and have really gone over the top are the, are the foreign players. It started and, with and Terry Butcher. I was going to say Terry Butcher. <laughs> and Graham and Roberts. Chris Woods was it? Like, I can't yeah, remember. Yeah, the yeah. They, they want to be more Scottish than the Scots. Exactly. So, I mean, I, I think the atmosphere is probably unique uh, in a derby match they get the, the atmosphere sort of carries people into um, different kinds of challenges and, and that sort of makes the atmosphere escalate and, and, and it sort of becomes a, a, a vicious circle with probably the emphasis on vicious and um, yeah I mean, I'd, I'd be interested in, in, in Matt's take on it as a, you know, as a player who's played in derby matches do, do you feel that you can get away with more or that you have to throw yourself 
myself in tomorrow in a derby match I mean that's what I was saying about Alan Pardew and his quotes really the fact that you do have to play with your head rather than your heart I mean you know, but why you, Howard Webb will let you will let, I'm sorry I'm going to contrarian here but and again and I've had some people call me okay I thought Lee Mason did a very good job refereeing uh, Chelsea West Brom so I don't want to be critical I don't want to be critical of Howard Webb he's consistent whatever consistent with his own way of refereeing but you know, you mentioned this there, and, and just to play devil's advocate for a minute, not that I'm not want to do that, but um, Cattermole made a very bad foul in the first half, and he got the usual 10-minute lecture from Howard Webb, where, you know, the one where he flexes his neck muscles and stuff like that and mm-hmm. pretends to talk to the fourth official. Um, that didn't stop him from making a very bad tackle on Jonas in the second half. Mm-hmm. He got away with it. I mean, yeah. he, he's got a booking. He didn't go out. You know, that's that's not his fault. I mean, that, no, no. But what I'm saying is, <laughs> yeah, he right. didn't necessarily play with a discipline, and yet he got away with it. Yeah. Well, I, no, I take your point, but that, I mean, listen, he, that's not his fault. He's going. If he's been punished for the first tackle, then you know he doesn't make the second one, does Correct. he? So it, that's the referee's fault rather than the individual. See, it's the players who blame the referees, the ex-pros. Like, like Listen, I'll tell, you a story about, yeah. I'll tell you a story about Howard Webb. I mean, I, one of his first games uh, when he was coming through, I played at, at Walsall in an opening game for Ipswich, and he was the referee, and I made a tackle after 10 minutes, and he booked me. Didn't make me I didn't make a second one. <laughs> yeah. So, yep. really? know, that, yeah, absolutely. He didn't stop and give you a lecture instead? He gave me a lecture and a yellow card. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> there you go. Howard, you're, 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 you're a bit sloppy in your old age. Now, uh, something I want to bring up because... Um, we love moralizing here. Uh, we praised Sebastian Larson to high heaven uh, last week for uh, for being a brilliant free transfer oh, signing and nice. for uh, a wonderful controlled volley. Wonderful controlled volley. Yeah. Okay. So this week he makes an obvious save with his arm on the goal. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one of a kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc., 
line, which Howard Webb doesn't see. We're going to give Howard Webb a pass on this one um, because he was clearly unsighted. I mean, the cameras made it pretty obvious. Um, I won't give his assistant a pass. And in fact, the next time people like Graham Paul talk about how like, well, assistant so-and-so is clearly the best assistant in the world. I don't have the tools to judge who the best assistant in the world is, so I blame him. All right. yeah. He made a mistake. It happens. However... What's a bit more difficult to justify is Larson, who knows he got the ball with his arm, running all the way to the assistant and saying, uh, and saying, oh, no, I didn't get it with my arm. I got it with my chest and so on. You know, it's one thing to do that and hope you get away with it. And then you sort of skulk off and, and I don't know, Hold hide behind Mignolet or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I mean, to go yeah, and flat out lie. This is the second yeah. week we've seen it, Joey Barton. Well said. I mean, this, it really, really annoys me. It's as if the only form of simulation in the game is making the most of a tackle. In my opinion, that's the mildest form of simulation in the game. By far worse is the plain barefaced lying which is designed to obtain advantage or to get an opponent into trouble we saw Joey Barton telling uh, a, 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 an opponent uh, that he'd been punched when we all know he was he hadn't been we saw it with Sebastian Larson and I, wa- I would and t- to me this is what Monday mornings are for apart from of course the game podcast but uh, the FA should be having a review on a yeah. Monday morning Larson should be absolutely done for that in the same way as Barton should have been done last weekend and that to me is far far worse form of cheating than making the most of a tackle Ollie uh, you get the final word on this Um, and I would like to to ask you about Sunderland because I I thought they they looked reasonable in the first half there's been a lot of movement at the club we all I, I think we all like Steve Bruce as a person because he looks so lovable. Mm. But I get kind of get a sense that this is the same crap as, as last season and it's another sort of mid-table mediocrity uh, looming. Uh, am I wrong? Please, please tell me I'm wrong. I, I think Swindon should be. I mean, you look at the squad now, you look at the additions that they made over the summer, I mean, obviously they, they, met, they, they, they lost Darren Bent last January and... Um, I think replacing those goals is is going to be difficult. But you look at them, and, and they have got a, a pretty solid squad. They've got better options from the bench than most of uh, most of the sort of mid-table teams. I, I think they should probably be looking around eighth, ninth, tenth. I think I think that would be a, a decent one. But I, I think the ones who are perhaps exceeded expectations in the first week at Newcastle. I thought that was an extremely good result for, for them. And having had doubts about, um, well, having had concerns about some of the sort of vibes that were coming out of that club over the summer, I, I, I've been pleasantly surprised by them. And um, if, if they can keep that up, maybe they'll be the um, surprise package along with Wolves. Wolves. Some of us called Wolves earlier in the, in, in the, in the summer, I might have you yes, said. And they're top of the table. Sorry? At least two of us, then. Uh, oh, yes? Three of us, then, yeah. in that case. Okay, you know, you guys, yeah. Sorry, how many people here put O'Hara down as the player to watch this season? Oh, good. Just me. You probably had some super, you had Aguero or some, somebody like that, right? Uh, no. I, I went for Messi. Messi, there you go. <laughs> there you go. Nicely done. All right, let's move on here. 
All right, rather extraordinary happenings uh, at Everton last week. For, for those who didn't, who didn't, who, who missed out on this, uh, I'll try to summarize as quickly as I can. As you know, um, the club are in financial uh, trouble. Um, they have an, a pretty active fan group now, um, or several groups of fans banding together under something called the Blue Union. And uh, and Ollie, since uh, uh, you're obviously closer to Everton than we are, please jump in and correct me if I say something that's not true. Um, Three representatives from this group uh, asked for a meeting with Bill Kenwright, the chairman, who, of course, being a, a self-described theater impresario, actually lives in London. They traveled down on the train. They met Kenwright. They had a, a conversation lasting, I think, between three and three and a half hours. Um, and they taped the conversation, um, and they made large parts of it, but not all of it, available um to the media, they put they published it on their website um, and whatever else, which deeply upset Bill Kenwright. Now, to me, this is kind of twofold. We're going to talk about Everton's situation, but we're also going to talk. I, I think what I'm interested in is sort of the the way clubs communicate with their supporters. Um, first and foremost, was Bill Kenwright was he right in meeting with these three fans privately? Ollie? I think he was right to do so in, because I think he felt that I think both sides felt that they, that they could help come to more of an understanding with each other by uh, by talking and, and listening to each other's concerns and feelings on the matter I mean I, I know that um, David Moyes has been particularly outspoken and not even outspoken he, he was upset that um, the, the meeting was recorded and, and, and the transcript was published and uh, you know I, Knowing knowing Bill Kenwright, I, I can imagine that he was he was very hurt by it and, and feels rather let down by it. And I guess that takes us all into hmm. questions about integrity and so on. There's been a sort of very different reaction to to when Did Liverpool report, Liverpool fans recorded a, meet, a meeting with George Gillette, and that that was seen as fair game because I think George Gillette was seen as a as a force for bad, whereas Bill Kenwright is, is seen, I think, brightly as a guy who's Really trying his best in in to be fair, just because I, I I mean, we don't know what exactly the agreement beforehand was. We only know what the two two sides are saying. Oh. Um, for the record, Derek Hatton, who who brokered this meeting, uh, Derek, of course, Patty's old mate, uh, he came out and he sort of sided with Ken Wright. He said it was it was all confidential. The, the 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 group of supporters who went down said no, only bits of it were confidential, and uh, we didn't publish or make public uh, those. Bit. So we don't really know, uh, you know, if trust was violated. Certainly, Ken Wright feels it was, but I don't think we can definitively say that. Paddy? Yeah, I mean, if trust is violated, as clearly it has been in this case, uh, whether through willfulness or um, Sorry, but you, misunderstanding. Did you, wait, 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 I mean, you're. Well, I mean. How, how can you say? It? I mean, because, because Moyes has said so. He, but, he, but Moyes, Moyes, Moyes was 
isn't there. Moyes isn't. No, but Moyes, Moyes. Is, you're basically is, saying you believe Kenwright instead, instead of the supporters. Moyes and Kenwright trust each other implicitly. Therefore, if Moyes says something publicly, it will have Kenwright's assent. You can take that for granted. Okay, but I'm not and, disputing that Kenwright says, believes trust was violated. But I'm I saying think, is, I mean, we, if Kenwright, should, we we don't know for a fact, right? I mean, the look, the, the supporters groups. You, you're basically I, saying I, that, that, I know, that they're lying. I know David Moyes very well. I know Bill Kenwright slightly, and I trust them completely. So, I mean, if, that, if you want my opinion, trust has been okay. broken either you on... You find Kenwright either, more believable either, than the fans. Either on, yes. Okay. Either on purpose, because I know him, I don't know the fans. The, 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 either on purpose or by mistake, through a misunderstanding, the trust has been broken. Now, that, that in, in itself is wrong. And we in the newspaper, so let's not have any holier than thou. We in the newspaper industry are in the dock about this sort of thing. What it uh, basically all comes down to, whether it's a newspaper or fans talking or, or Vince Cable being inter- interviewed by, the, by, a, by a newspaper, it all comes down to the same thing. Does the public interest justify the disclosure? And in this case, I'm sorry, but Everton fans may be a little bit disappointed at the way their club is going, but it doesn't justify this. And I wish they hadn't done it because Everton's a club that I think quite a lot of us have got a very high regard for. Yeah, and I think that begs the question is why haven't someone, you know, there's a lot of foreign investment, there's a lot of people coming and trying to buy football clubs in England. Why hasn't someone said Everton Football Club, you know, that's, that's a, a concern for me where reasons. I can go and make you know make improvements to that, that and club. what we well, don't there's, know there's problems is, is, is that they haven't they, Carson got, Young Taxin Shinawat these people may well have bid well they've got and they debt were probably sent away with a flea in their ear they, they've got debt obviously um, the ground yep they need a new ground they didn't have debt De- they didn't definitely. have debt five years ago no but they have now yep. and they, they've, they need a new ground because you know that's in disrepair at the moment yep. and, and it either needs knocking down and starting again or you know somewhere new that's a problem um I think Bill Kenwright probably would like some money out of it as well. Mm. So obviously it's going to cost a lot of money for someone to come in and, and buy them. But it does beg the question, why not? Uh, I mean, I covered the game on, on Saturday and there was a few uh, Everton fans who were a little bit concerned, I think, with David Moyes' tactics more than anything as well on, on Saturday. Because, mm. well, with 20 minutes to go, they're a goal behind at home to QPR. You know, they would like three points, let alone a draw yeah. at that stage. Um, and he took off uh, Beckford and brought Fellaini on so he had Fellaini and Cahill as his front two and he had Saha and Anichibi on the bench so he's taken off his only striker and brought on a midfield player eventually Saha did come on didn't make a great deal of difference but he's got problems David Moyes because he, he, he's desperately needing uh, investment in the squad he, he needs a striker he, he, the trouble for him at the moment is he's going to have to sell to bring people in and, and who does he sell well, he's, he's saleable assets I suppose Leighton Baines and Jaggy Elka mm-hmm. Rodwell 12 months ago would have been the ideal one when, yeah, now when the, people now they're touting him around now they're him around and no one wants him so it's a difficult situation David Moyes finds himself in um, Ollie, is this simple? Should we be accepting? I know this is going to be really unpleasant for people to hear, but I think somebody's got to take the responsibility of putting it out there that Everton, despite their glorious history, 
um, the economics of football have have changed, and history isn't going to make you money. And the reality is that Liverpool is not a wealthy city. It's not a big city. They've got a limited catchment area because they've got you know the water on one side and the world to the other. And there's, they have a huge club already on their doorstep. They've got Manchester United, arguably the most popular club in England, uh, just half an hour away. And Manchester City, possibly the biggest spending club in the world, half an hour away. Liverpool on their doorstep. Plus the stadium, plus the debt, plus, I mean, it's just not an attractive investment. How are you supposed to, for, for anybody who wants to buy the club and run it as a business and try to grow the club the, the way maybe Randy Lerner has done, it's just not a viable investment. And maybe Everton's natural dimension going forward is going to be that of a smaller club. It is going to be that of being, you know, Liverpool's second club. No, I, I would say that. I would say that in terms of everything about the club, I would say is attractive. Apart from the fact that that, that they seem to be stuck in a difficult situation with the stadium, and obviously Liverpool are, are stuck in a, in a similar situation, and, and I'm sure that will get Paddy to yeah. talk about grand sharing. But um, but um, <laughs> I mean, the, the big difference with Liverpool is that the fan base is bigger, the, yes. the prospects are bigger. The Everton, I mean, Everton seem to have everything going for them, but but. Clubs who are who are stuck in a in a difficult situation, stadium-wise, and, and have limited sort of future growth, etc., are, are in a difficult situation. I mean, you look at how difficult Liverpool found it to actually um, find a buyer yeah. before um, before Fenway came along. Yeah, I mean, there is it, a, there it, is it, a it factor. Take a long time. There is a factor that nobody talks about, which is Hazel. In the mid 1980s. Uh, Everton were poised, were in a situation where they could have gone on to become an international brand in the way Chelsea are now. Everton were the leading team uh, in England in the in the mid 1980s under Howard Kendall, uh, with an outstanding team including Trevor Stephen and blah 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 blah, uh, Reed and Bracewell and so on. And then along came Hazel. Um, the absolute disaster, murderous disaster at uh, the Hazel Stadium after, uh, before the Champions League final of 1985. And, uh, of course, after that, clubs were banned from Europe. Everton would have gone into uh, the Champions, the equivalent of the Champions League the next season. And given the youth, the age structure of the team, apart from the strikers, they were poised for a, 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 an era of success. Unfortunately, they weren't able to play in, in Europe and their chance of becoming an international brand comparable with Chelsea and perhaps even Liverpool uh, went and has never been recovered Um, Liverpool however remain an international brand uh, because their success uh, occurred um, pre-Hazel their European success uh, occurred pre-Hazel therefore it's terribly unfortunate uh, but uh, Everton it it, it, it it does seem that that, that Everton may have to um, uh, look at, in in these days of in globalization of football may have to look at a more modest future. Yeah, just want to have a, a, a quick whip round here because we we all take it as read that the fans we always told the fans would never stand for it, but I'm talking about ground sharing here. Um, Matt, you 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 sort of frowned when I said that. Uh, <laughs> 
Is ground sharing worth it if it means saving both clubs a lot of money? I, and I guess, uh, I guess so. I mean, look, it works in Milan. Um, I've played over there um, in the UEFA Cup for Ipswich, and it and it works out there. Um, it's nice to have your own home, is what I would say. It's nice to have your own identity, your own stadium. Um, in an ideal world, that that for me would be um, the way I, I see it going forward. But if it's um, if it's uh, I don't know the means of, of going forward and, and being successful for the two teams, and it means that ground shares the way forward, then hmm. I suppose it has to be. Yeah, it's a I friendly mean, derby after all, would, right? Well, like it, that's that's the point. I th- I believe that was. due to the <laughs> unique history, uh, the uniquely convergent history of the two clubs, uh, from the formation uh, all the way through to the joint ownership. Uh, by uh, Sir John Moores, uh, all the way to the friendliness of of the, of the derby, which only really evaporated, I would say, twenty years ago, began to evaporate twenty years ago. Due to all of those, always coincides with soonest, doesn't due it? Due to all those, <laughs> all, all those, um, all the nastiness. Due to all those historical factors, I believe there was a unique opportunity to create something. That, that would have been the envy of the footballing world in Liverpool and it would have involved um, a, a joint stadium but you know that's the vision of someone who doesn't live in Liverpool and if it's not shared by the supporters of Everton and Liverpool let them remain small that's their choice Ollie, I bet you have an opinion on this yeah I, I don't really like the, the grand share idea I mean we, we always say in England oh look at, look how well it works in Milan Rome Turin etc but I mean it's, it's not we like to think of um, of, of joint stadiums as, as being a great European idea that we should embrace here but it, it, they don't ever seem to be terribly popular in the cities concerned I think Liverpool and Everton have got an awful lot in, in common but they've got an awful lot that they haven't got in common they've got very distinct identities mm. and uh, I, I don't like it but interestingly there is a there is a sort of proposal which is gaining currency in the city which is of, of sort of building two stadiums on on the one side and uh, the football quarter exactly all right, time now for some quick hits. Uh, Paddy, Chelsea came from behind to beat West Brom 2-1 on Saturday, but will Juan Mata be enough to help Chelsea challenge for the title? Well, I think beating West Brom is extremely difficult. I've seen them, well, I've seen bits of them twice this season. They deserved a draw against Manchester United, deserved a draw against Chelsea. But to answer your question, Juan Mata could well make a huge difference. The only thing is, playing him and Maluda in the same team uh, might be difficult, and Maluda got uh, Chelsea out of trouble on Saturday. Uh, but I think he's going to be a huge asset. I still think they wish they could have got Modric instead. But they may yet get Modric. Not in Harry Redknapp's opinion. He said last night, told me last night, that the signing of Mata kills the Modric deal. There you go. Exclusive, valuable inside information from Harry. Carlos Tevez comes on in Manchester City's uh, 3-2 win over Bolton, which sees them go joint top of the Premier League. Ollie, Tevez ran around a bit. Uh, he looked very interested. Does this suggest to you he's going to stay and everything will be fine? I think what suggests he might stay is the fact that there are only nine days left of the transfer window and there's not yet an offer on the table for him. I mean, I, I, I've half been expecting Real Madrid to come in at the last minute, but um, they haven't done. Um, I think he, he, he's now aware that if, if he stays, that um, he might be have the opportunity to be part of 
something big. So I think the longer it goes on, every day it goes on, it looks like a nice day. In his new biography, Gary Neville talks about how he often didn't enjoy playing for England, largely because of the fan and media expectations and what bad things would happen when expectations weren't met, which was generally the norm with England. Uh, Matt, you never played for England because you're, well, Irish. Um, but can you relate to any of that? Or should Gary just be grateful that God gave him enough ability to have a top five football career and play for his country? Uh, I think it's fair to say there is huge pressure and expectation when you play for your country but you have to say it's, it's an honour and a privilege to do the, to do that I mean I was lucky enough to play um, in a World Cup and, and you know it's the pinnacle of your career every every professional should want to play at the very top level um, so yes there's expectation but it's an honour to do it and um, it's probably a little bit easier for us with Ireland because we went into games as underdogs whereas England are very much favourites going into tournaments there you go. You hear that, Gary? Shut up. Anyway, Gab, one for you. While we're talking about football in far-off fields, Paris Saint-Germain are the biggest spending team in Europe. We know that happened because we talked about it last week. But um, have they finally won a game? Uh, they have, actually. Uh, uh, they won their first league game uh, beating Valenciennes on um, on, on Sunday. Uh, it wasn't a great performance. Javier Pastore, though, did make the bench and did make an appearance in the, sec- in the second half. Uh, this team looks totally disjointed right now uh, it's up to you whether you think it's just a question of time to make them gel or whether uh, maybe they should be looking at a different manager than Antoine Comboire that's all we've got time for this week but remember you can go to www.thetimes.co.uk you'll find your news your gossip your analysis you can follow us on Twitter I'm at Mark Conti and of course Matt Matt are you one of those expos on Twitter I am indeed yes at Matt Holland 8 at Matt Holland 8 not to be confused with at Joey 7 Barton Patty you're on Twitter too right I'm P Barkley Times but I haven't been given a squad number <laughs> not yet anyway and of course there's our web chats mine's on a Tuesday uh, Patty Yours is on Monday. Yours is on Monday. And uh, we got Graham Spears also later in the week, as well as Ollie Kay. Thanks for spending the last 35 minutes or so of your life with us. Till next week. Bye-bye. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc., 